Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Father, we come to you giving you the glory that you are due. That we look forward to doing one day what we've done today, but with greater joy, with greater fullness, because you will be there present in sin and death and all the things that distract will be done away with. And then together with all of heaven, we will sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Lord, we pray that until we come to that day that you would remind us of what you have done. That while we wait isn't a time to just remain silent, but to continue even in our waiting to lift up our voices to the one who is our help. That even still you are worthy. So would you find a people who have, who have given you their hearts and are now ready to receive from you the word that you have for us. We pray that you'd be with Brother Jermaine as he brings the word that ultimately it would be your spirit speaking to us. Help us to rejoice in Christ and his mercy and compassion to us and undeserving people. And would our response be what we've just done? Worship, you are worthy. So would you do a work in us by your word, by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Praise God, praise God. Shem almost had me lose my voice there. But it was good, amen? Um, We're in Luke 18, verse 19 to 14. You can uh, join me there and say amen when you got it, and we'll start reading. Thank you, Lord. Amen. He also told this parable to sorry. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Uh, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Greedy, unrighteous, it's hard to not laugh when you read that, eh? (laughs) Greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of everything I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, 
This one went down to his house justified rather than the other, because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This matter of pride versus humility, I am convinced that if we were to ask everyone in this room, Possibly if we were to go to work and ask everyone at work and we were to do a, 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 a Instagram poll, we'd probably find that everyone would agree that pride is a turnoff. Amen? Pride is a turnoff on the job, in entertainment, in relationships. We... We don't see anyone ever cheering for the person or rooting for the person who is conceited. And if we're honest with ourselves, it often feels good when that person gets humbled. Amen? (laughs) But the problem with pride is it tends to sneak up on us especially as we continue to become competent in anything that we're doing, the more praise and recognition we get, the easier it is to slide into that place of having a big head about you, feeling like you've got it figured out, you don't need anyone else, and falling into pride. And it's not that Acknowledging your accomplishments, your success, is a bad thing. It's just that we are, as human beings, as finite creatures, as fallen creatures, we are inclined to view ourselves highly and to inevitably begin to think that we are, in in an unhealthy way, self-sufficient and independent. And so pride is something that we have to continue to keep in check. We've got to continually pursue humility and resist pride. And this matter of pride versus humility is actually sometimes just viewed as a way for us to become a better person, to be more liked. But the reality is, this is actually a matter that has eternal ramifications for us. And I believe that what God wants us to take away from this message, or I should say the the main thing I believe he wants us to take from this message, is that the only way for us as sinful creatures to be saved is to humble ourselves and seek the mercy of God. Of God. The only way for us to be saved is to humble ourselves and seek the merciful God. Look back at the text with me. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone else. Check out the Pharisee. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other tax collector, the Pharisee uh, was standing and praying like this about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, greedy, unrighteous, adulterous, or even like this tax collector. 
I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I get. There is no need for me to tell you that this Pharisee is prideful. He's praying to God. He even, if you notice, thanks God. But you can instantly tell that he is trusting in himself rather than God. And he begins by comparing himself to other people as a way to determine how righteous he really is. And you can, you can almost imagine the, the people that are coming to his mind. He says, adulterous. You can imagine he's thinking or recalling the, the case of the woman caught in the act of adultery, thinking to himself, I'm not like her. You can imagine he's recalling the story of, or the case of uh, Zacchaeus, the greedy tax collector who stole from the poor, and he's thinking, I'm not like him. And he's making this case before God that I am not like others. And what he's really saying here is I'm not a sinner. And then he goes on to to give God his resume of righteous deeds. It's not a long list. It says two things. And some of you are thinking, I mean, I got more than that, right? Um, He says, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of everything I get. And the issue is not how much he's listing off of his good deeds. It's the fact that he believes that he's done enough to receive or to hear God declare him righteous. This, tax, this uh, Pharisee is deceived by his deception. And I'll say that pride dangerously deceives us. I'll say it differently. The prideful are dangerously deceived. He's deceived in at least two ways, this Pharisee. The first way that he is deceived is he thinks that the way to determine how righteous he is is by comparing himself to others. And I want to say very clearly, this is not the way that we can know how righteous we are. Jesus, actually, God actually gives us this, the way that we can know in Leviticus 19, verse 1 to 2, he says to Moses, speak to the entire Israelite community and tell them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. God's standard of righteousness for us is holiness. And it is particularly his holiness. God makes himself the standard of righteousness that he calls his people to live up to. And if hearing this makes you tremble a little bit, makes you a little bit afraid, makes you feel a little bit hopeless, you're thinking right. The truth is, this is is a seemingly impossible standard. In fact, it is an impossible standard on our own. This should have humbled the Pharisee. And the reality is if we accept this 
as the standard, if we accept God as the standard, we will be humbled. Right? But this Pharisee, in his pride, has compared himself to other people as a way to determine his righteousness. And so, naturally, he looks down on others. Because if I determine how good I am based on how bad everyone else is, then I need to believe that you're all worse than me. You follow me? And this is a natural thing. It is hard to show mercy. It is hard to be kind and considerate of others when you need to look down on them, when you need to look down on others in order to feel good about yourself. This is the first way that he gets deceived. And there's another. He's deceived into thinking his righteous deeds are enough to be declared righteous by God. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 64, verse 5 and 6, tells us the truth. He says, How can we be saved if we remain in our sins? All of us have become like something unclean, and all our righteous acts are like a polluted garment. If you were King James raised, you know, filthy rags. Um, Like a polluted garment, all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities carry us away like the wind. The fact of the matter is, even if everyone in this room committed themselves, and actually achieved doing every good thing that they read in the Bible from this moment forward on for the rest of their life in this side of eternity, we would still not do enough to be declared righteous by God on our own. And it's a simple equation. Isaiah makes it clear. Doing good doesn't automatically or magically fix all the damage that we've done every time we've done bad. Someone still has to pay for our sins. And this is God alone. And so the Pharisee has, he has believed that his righteous deeds are enough But in fact, it's not. And so the scariest part of this deception is the fact that he is actually in a dangerous place and doesn't realize it. The writer of Hebrews said that it is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of the living God. What he he fails to see here is that as he is pridefully, arrogantly standing before God and declaring himself righteous as a sinner, he is in danger. In fact, in great danger. Every single one of us in this place, God would be just to strike us down where we stand for any one of our sins, our many sins. And the fact that we are still alive is God's mercy towards us. And the only right response to this mercy is to humble ourselves before God and seek his mercy. 
And this brings us on to the second person in the parable, the tax collector. Look back at the text with me in 13. But the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this one went down to his house justified rather than the other. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Just as easy as it is to see that the Pharisee is filled with pride, Jesus makes it really easy to see the humility of this tax collector. Starts off by showing us the tax collector is sober-minded. He realizes that he is not worthy to stand before the holiness of God. And so he stands far off. He's not worthy to look upon the holiness of God, so he looks down. And as a, a demonstration of his remorse, he beats his chest as he honestly straight up confesses he's a sinner and pleads for God's mercy. This is the right response to the mercy of God. I recently started a new job where I have the opportunity to learn about the youth justice system in Ontario. And one of the things that um, I'm learning is that uh, young offenders often receive a lot of mercy uh, from the judge. This is because the judge often knows that if they don't receive mercy, it could ruin their lives. Right? They're young and often getting into the system that early means they'll stay in the system, especially if they're coming from marginalized communities. And so he seeks to show mercy as a way to, to spare them a life of, of, of tragedy. But in order for the young offender to receive the mercy that is extended, in order for them to, to enjoy that mercy, they have to do two things. And really, it's, 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 it's one thing, kind of. It's, it's they have to show remorse. But to do this, they've got to do two things. First, they need to confess their guilt. They can't continue on with this idea that they didn't do anything, that they're not at fault. They've got to accept that they are guilty and confess. And the second thing they have to do is ask for mercy. They can't be so prideful, so arrogant, so conceited that they refuse to ask for help, that they refuse to ask for mercy. And, and in the same way, or in a similar way, I should say, God deals with us like this. He knows that we can't pay for our sins on our own. He knows we can't fix the damage we've done on our own. And so he's committed to showing us mercy. But in order for us to receive God's mercy, we've got to do two things, at least to begin. We must acknowledge and confess our sins. 
if you're holding on to your pride and continuing to say you're not a sinner, you have not positioned yourself to receive God's mercy. And the next, you've got to ask, just like this Pharisee, or just like this tax collector, rather, acknowledges that he's a sinner and pleads with God for mercy. It is a humbling thing to, to, to go before the judge and ask for mercy. And this is absolutely necessary. God requires us to do this. And Jesus, he ends this parable by giving us the best news that a sinner, a guilty sinner, can receive. He says, 14, I tell you, this one went down to his house justified. Say that with me, justified. He goes down to his house justified. And what Jesus is telling us in this is that we serve a God. In fact, the God who is judge of all judges is merciful. If we confess our sins to him and we ask him for mercy, he will give it to us. And this is an amazing thing. But he doesn't just show mercy by telling us what humility gets us. He actually shows us mercy by telling us what pride gets us too. He says the, the one who exalts himself will be humbled. The prideful will be humbled. This is mercy from God that we would receive this warning. And with that, I want you to, to, to see at the very beginning that we're told that Jesus tells this parable to not leave the prideful among him in their sin, in their deception. He tells this parable to, to, to let them know of the danger they're in, to warn them of the consequence of remaining prideful. He shows mercy by telling them this parable. And for all of us in this room, we are receiving mercy from God right now. For those who are convinced that they are good enough without Jesus, this is an opportunity that, that God is giving you to know that you are in danger. That the reality is you cannot and are not good enough without Jesus to pay for your own sins, to receive a pardon from the judge of all judges. And the reality is that Jesus is the only one who lived the perfect life. He's the only one who was perfect in righteousness, the only one who deserved to be pardoned on his own. And what he did with this righteousness that he had is that he took on our sin and died in our place so that if we put our trust in him, we receive his righteousness. We are clothed in his righteousness like a garment. We call this the great exchange. He in our place and we receive his righteousness. This is the only way 
that a sinner can be saved. The only way that our sins can be pardoned. And for those who are here who you have put your trust in Jesus, my fellow followers of Jesus, we all find ourselves at times in sin. And this is a reminder to us that the right way to deal with our sin is not to try to do enough good to make up for the bad we've done. It's to humbly confess to Jesus, to God, that we have sinned, that we acknowledge our sin, and to seek him for mercy. This act of seeking for mercy for the believer is not a one-time thing that we do before we get saved and we figure that covers it all. It is a continual thing. We are continually confessing our sin and seeking God's mercy. And the promise that comforts us is that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This word justification, I love this this very simple way of remembering it that I heard a long time ago, just as if I never sinned. Jesus makes it that you stand before God the Father as if you have never sinned. This is the mercy that's extended to us. The only hope that we have of salvation, the only hope that we have of being pardoned for us and the only hope that we have of being justified before the holy God is to humbly seek his mercy. And when we do this, we will receive God's mercy. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for your mercy. I don't know the sins of everyone in this room. I don't know how much they've done. I don't know how horrible their sins have been. I don't know how detrimental it's been to other people's lives or to their own, but I know my own. I know what I've done before you, against you. And I know that if it, if it had not been for your mercy towards me, I would be hopeless hopelessly lost. My life would be gone. It would be in ruins. And the sad part is I realized that without you, I would not even realize that I was in danger. That it's your mercy that has opened my eyes and the eyes of everyone who sees clearly in this room to see that we were in danger. To see that we are truly in danger without you, that we absolutely need you to show us mercy for all the sins we've committed, to fix all that is broken. And Lord, I'm so thankful that you chose, in fact, you created before the foundation of the world, a plan to redeem the creature that you created, a creature you knew was lost without you, a creature you knew that could not be righteous without you. You made a plan to to come and to pay for our sins for us. You made a plan 
that everyone who puts their trust in you would be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would help us to continue to seek you, the merciful God. Your mercy is everlasting, and it is new every morning, which means to us it is constant. We can continually trust that you will be merciful if we humble ourselves and seek your mercy. So, Lord, help us to do that today. Wherever we are, whatever we've been going through, there may be some things that we've got to deal with um, that, that's hard, that's difficult for us to deal with. But, Lord, help us to see that, that what we have to look forward to if we hold on to our pride and continue in our sin is far worse than any consequence we have to face for admitting our sins now. So, Lord, let that lead us to seeking you by your spirit, God. Give us the courage, the strength, all that we need to be honest and to confess our sins and to humble ourselves and to seek your mercy. We thank you, Lord, again for all that you've done for us. We pray this now for your glory and our joy in you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.